This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. and welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber of Healthcare News. Could the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention be on the chopping block? CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said on August 17th, her agency is in need of a complete overhaul. She said that in light of its performance dealing with COVID-19. Now, few people would argue that the CDC bungled COVID-19 in many ways. It was all over the map regarding guidance on masks, social distancing, vaccines, schools, business lockdowns, even apartment evictions. Now, granted, we did not know much about COVID in the beginning. Uh, But was this flip-flopping the result of changing science or politics? Is Director Walensky serious about addressing the problems at the CDC, or is her statement designed to get pressure off her agency's back right before the midterm election? To answer that, I've invited back Dr. Marilyn Singleton. She is a board-certified anesthesiologist and an attorney. She has written and spoken extensively on the federal government's response to COVID-19 and uh, is well-informed on this topic. Welcome back. And it's always great to be here. Thank you for having me. Dr. Singleton, what do you think of Walensky's latest comment? Uh, She said this in an interview. Um, Many questions. I wondered how serious she is. I was reading the New York Times version of this interview she gave where she said the word overhaul. And the article made no mention of the Biden administration, only the Trump administration, which got me wondering, is this really politically driven? Well, I, I'd say the first thing that lets you know COVID was political was when Kamala Harris said, I'm not going to take any vaccine while Trump is president. I don't trust it. And then magically, Biden is elected president, and she allegedly is first there with her arm open having a vaccine. I mean, to actually come out and say this, it's not as though Trump was in a lab coat making the vaccine, even if you didn't like Trump. So you could see that the whole thing was political. It was used in an election period. And what ho, what do we have now, two years later, the midterm elections coming up, when we have so many things that are going so wrong in this country. And, uh, you know, I don't even have to list them. They're in everybody's face go to the grocery store and you're sickened every time you come home um, looking at your receipt, um, they know when, and the, the funny thing about the whole masking, you know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Um, they know the lockdowns have harmed more people than not. There's enough studies that are now showing that. The CDC's own studies showed that the mental health visits to doctors went up. and that 40% of poor children didn't even log on to go to school. And then they came up with this six feet and that was pulled out of a hat. Rumor has it that it was supposed to be six meters, which actually follows the science. So that's about 27 feet. And they just decided to make it six feet. Obviously, who could stay 27 feet apart and still wade through life? And then 
saying COVID wasn't in the air, that it was in these droplets, and no, it's in the air. So it's like, guess what? Everybody's going to get it. And now we have the study where they did the survey of all the people, and 50% of people who had Omicron never even knew they had it. Now, granted, Omicron is not as severe as the first strain of COVID, but the same thing with people. I know people personally, including myself, who uh, we got antibody tests to see whether we had antibodies. We'd never been sick, but we had antibodies to COVID. And that was two years ago. So, you know, the whole thing was mismanaged and it's election time and the country is owed a huge apology for all this. What changes do you think are needed besides an apology? Um, and, and what can Walensky actually do on her own? These seem like really huge issues and something that Congress should address. Well, first of all, it needs an independent external review to see how the public health agencies should actually work, see what the epidemiologists are doing, what things they're looking at. When, when you look at the CDC and, and see its history, it started off in, when in 1946, it was the Center for Communicable Diseases. And that might be a first step to walk it back to where it deals with communicable diseases, period, end of story. And other department, you know, it's under the Health and Human Services Department and other departments in the Health and Human Services can take care of some of these social issues that suddenly have become under the purview of the CDC. But number one is an external review. Who reviews themselves? and calls that the final review. And even if it's in earnest, which I doubt it was, but even if it is, we'll, we'll give the benefit of the doubt that you can't see your own flaws. It's, it's very hard to see the big picture and where the central problem is. And I'm certainly not there. I can't tell you what it is. And I think federally, yes, you do need some sort of global oversight. But the states, the United States, they're all so different that we need to have state departments as well. And she talks about the fragmentation, like that's a bad thing. If it hadn't been for some of the state actions, who knows? COVID could have been worse if we were counting on the CDC. Now, you wrote a paper last year, COVID-19, A Weapon to Transform America, in which you describe how the CDC abandoned accepted practice by allowing COVID-19 to be listed on death certificates when the disease was not confirmed. And later, Olensky admitted that people who were listed as COVID-19 deaths had numerous comorbidities. Now, looking at the problems she lists facing the agency, and I think she mentioned poor communication, fragmented public health system, and tendency for the agency to be reactive, not proactive, does this describe what might have happened on the death certificate issue, for example? No. What it falls under is an attempt to 
instill fear into people. Now, sometimes people need to be made fearful, and you have to point out the seriousness of a problem. But in this particular case, think about what the news did, those columns that were along the side of every news report that had number of quote-unquote cases and number of deaths. Number one, a positive COVID test, as we've discovered, isn't a case. A case is a sick person. So it looked like all these people were sick. And then if you can beef up the number of deaths, and not to say that COVID didn't kill people. Don't get me wrong there. It did. But let's not lie about it. Some people were already in hospice. They were already on death's door, and they had a positive COVID test. COVID was not what killed them. Well, you look at what happened before COVID. If people were very frail and sick and died, it might have been from a complication from like pneumonia or flu, but we never panicked about those two things. Well, exactly. And sometimes something minor can make a condition worse. Sometimes a, an infection in the toe can send somebody over the edge. And isn't it fascinating how magically for the last two years there was no flu? Now, we know some people had the flu and they say, oh, well, it's because everybody was social distancing and wearing masks. Well, they still got COVID. So, you know, why didn't they get the flu? It's because cases of flu were likely counted as COVID. They wanted the COVID numbers to be high and they needed to scare people. And it worked in many cases. And it's unfortunate because had people been told the truth and said, okay, these are the vulnerable people, people over 70, and and the survival numbers show that, that the people who died were over 70, they were in nursing homes. Yes, we always, and of course the news was happy to put out there when some healthy 25-year-old died. You know, say, see, it's happening to everybody. Well, there's always outliers. But if you look at the numbers and who the people are, that's who the, um, the, the media, CDC, should have been directing things toward that vulnerable population. Let's talk about the other mistakes the CDC was faulted on during COVID. It's failure to get a diagnostic test out the door quickly during the critical early stage of the pandemic. Uh, It resisted at-home antigen tests later on. It failed to acknowledge the success that doctors were having with uh, early at-home treatment using existing drugs, and of course, the ever-changing mask of rules. Uh, Do these point to one problem or many? Well, I think it's many problems. And uh, one of the things when you look look at trying to change things or, excuse me, uh, improve the science that the CDC has to look at which scientific findings they're looking at. The CDC had done a study looking back since 1945 on the effectiveness of mass. So this is their own study. And granted, it wasn't COVID, it was just the flu. And the conclusion was they did not work. Okay. So 
their own, and this study was a couple of years old before COVID. Now, they never publicized that. So they can pick and choose, and they did pick and choose which science they were going to follow. And until you stop being biased in the selection of science and in what studies you're going to choose to do, you almost hate to use the word science because that's not science. You have to look at everything, and that's not what they did. So you have the political bias that was interjected in there. As far as the testing, that to me just smells of hubris. Europe and other countries, Russia, in fact, had a very good COVID test. Did we use it? No. CDC said they wanted to have their own. What did they do? Contaminated it with, you know, another element. So it was testing other things other than COVID. And it set everything back so far. So why not use someone else's test? And, you know, so there were certainly a lot of things um, that fold in to having a bad result. And we know just from regular life and in medicine, sometimes multiple small things end up making a big screw up. You know, over the years, the CDC has delved into a wide range of issues that some say go beyond disease and public health. You know, it's now promoting chat rooms for teens run by agencies promoting uh, transgender medical procedures. Um, You know, they also had a say on apartment evictions and masks on airplanes and public transportation. Uh, It also has information on its website on obesity, not just obesity, but obesity discrimination. Of course, then there's the whole diversity, equity, inclusion thing, critical race theory. Uh, Is is this what a public health agency should be delving into? Well, and this is the thing. And number one, the CDC is not the public health department. It is the Centers for Disease Control. It, it, it's interesting how these agencies somehow expand. They're like an octopus and they get bigger and bigger. The blob, they start subsuming things. And I guess it depends on who's in charge and who's connected to what, but they shouldn't be involved in that stuff at all. They should be looking at communicable diseases, epidemiology, and all these social issues I mean, already they've declared climate change, cities, gentrification, gambling, online poker. They're all called public health problems now. I mean, come on. Uh, and but the but the thing is, you know, there's something slightly more sinister that can happen when you get the CDC, HHS, and public health department involved is you can call things a public health emergency, and that gives special powers to the executive branch. You mentioned Congress before. Uh, You know, it completely shuts out the legislative branch, and they have, that's where the powers to quarantine, the powers to throw people in jail, in fact, if they won't do what the government says, if you have declared a public health emergency. So, There's kind of a method to that madness. Once you call it public health, the government has more control. 
All right. Do you think Congress should break up this agency altogether and start from scratch? I mean, maybe not have so much power concentrated under one huge government bureaucracy. I mean, and this is a problem with many government agencies, but maybe this is a good place to start now that Walensky has raised the issue to show that a decentralized approach might be just what the country needs. I think it very well could be. Of course, she's looking at it the other end wanting to stop the so-called fragmentation. So we shall see. I think she wants everything to be more powerful, but it does offer the opportunity to say, well, let's take another tack on this. But the problem is who's going to say it? Walensky is, she's her own boss. Javier Becerra is her boss. Javier Becerra is not going to take any power away from the government. So until there's another administration, another secretary of HHS, I don't think there's a chance in H-E-double-L (laughs) 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 that there's any decentralization. Well, Dr. Marilyn Singleton, thank you for chatting with us and sharing your insights. It is always fun and reassuring to talk to you, uh, to know that we have some oh. a, a lot of good common sense out there, <laughs> and sometimes uh, there that is a hopeful situation. Well, we we can always hope, can't we? Well, you'll have to come back. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And you could learn more about Dr. Marilyn Singleton's work on her website, MarilynSingletonMDJD.com, where she writes about politics, medical ethics, culture and society, and healthcare policy. And I'll have a link on the podcast notes, as well as links to the articles uh, that we discussed earlier. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. I would encourage you to become regular subscribers to the Heartland Daily Podcast, where you can get fresh content on nearly, uh, nearly every day of the week, not just on healthcare but a variety of free market policy issues. Thanks for joining us. This is Anne-Marie Schieber.